Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the Quickie Podcast, part one, of course. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here. Today, my guest is Ron Burridge. He's the Senior Director, Head of Design at PepsiCo Beverages North America. During this episode, we talk about how he is living the dream in New York right now, and he is a theater junkie. He's also a big fan of beauty and fashion photography and creative. And he also shares a story with us about how his artist, Aunt Gloria, helped him flick that design switch and get into gear. We talk about the type of design that was influential to him, as well as how PepsiCo is breaking the mold of traditional sort of beverage design. We get into talking about print and packaging, of course, and he shares some stories around that from his time at Disney and some of the stuff going on at PepsiCo. And we talk about the importance of packaging and the tangible experience, especially in this digital age. I love Ron's perspective. He has got a boatload of experience and he brings it for this. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get into this one. Part one of my interview with Ron Burridge. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Ron. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we can finally line up our schedules. I know. It's been crazy. <laughs> thanks for your patience. <laughs> no, thanks for yours. It's all good. Um, so I got to ask, are you ready for a quickie then? Oh, absolutely. Perfect. Who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the tough stuff first. So briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm Ron Burridge. I am uh, a designer. I've been doing this for about uh, 27 years now, not really counting. Um, I live in New York City, uh, which has been a dream of mine uh, for my entire life. My family is all from New York, and I was really one of the only ones who didn't grow up here. So being able to do it at this stage of my career is, is awesome. Um, I love design. I, I've had an opportunity to work for some really, really amazing um, companies along the way, Disney, Procter & Gamble, the Hershey Company, Cranium, um, and now in like the most exciting role, I think, of my career at PepsiCo, leading design for our beverages um, division in North America. Um, and uh, I'm a theater junkie. So, you know, I'll give a lot of theater references as I talk about design because it's really where I find um, my inspiration is in music and, and theater and lighting and costumes and stuff, stuff like that. So um, that's me. I love that. And the theater references, I was involved in many plays in theater as a kid. And I think that would have been my other career choice had I not somehow landed in print and in this design world. That would have been the other career path. I, I have to say it's always been uh, kind of that that side hustle of mine. I've done a lot of community theater, a lot of like semi-professional theater, um, and I'm just in a theater audience at least twice a week. It's it's just my my passion. That's so cool. Um, so how long have you been with PepsiCo for? 
I have been with PepsiCo a little bit less than two years. April will be two years coming up. Perfect. So now I want to dive back even further than that. And this is where, Ron, I start to bill for my time. So um, what was your childhood like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you in this career path? You know, I think a lot of things pointed me in the direction, but, you know, in a very roundabout way. So I grew up in South Florida. Um, I was passionate about, um, you know, art and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have called it design back then, but I was always a stellar student as it related to art Mm -hmm. and as it related to English. Um, I loved anything that was um, about hand lettering. And again, like, you know, if I if I go back in my childhood, I remember in third grade, um, I had a teacher, Mrs. Franklin, who just loved my penmanship, and she decided to bring me a set of calligraphy pens, and that just kind of opened the door to me. Um, I became like the nerd student who would erase the the chalkboards um, for the art uh, center every day and just like picking up on parts and pieces in there. I did a lot of theater um, growing up in, in school as well, so like building sets and making props and, of course, acting as well. Um, so I'm not surprised that I ended up uh, where I where I am, but it wasn't the most traditional way. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you were sort of circling what we could call creativity all of your childhood. And were you did you have like a, a designer uncle or aunt that really introduced you to it? Or <laughs> what, what was the moment that like flicked the design switch for you? You know, I did. I had um, an aunt. Now, I have to say in my family, we have a lot of really cr- creative people, um, but nobody who's done creativity as a profession. But I had an Aunt Gloria who just was like the best kind of folk artist um, without even really knowing what it was at the time. She was obsessed with seashells and she would literally glue shells on everything. Like her house, every single piece of furniture had shell embellishments on it. Her fish tank was covered in shells. Her bathroom, like toilet backseat was covered in (laughs) shells. Um, And so I really found like the time that I spent with her, we would do a lot of drawing. Um, We actually would play, um, you know, uh, you know, at the time, like advertising agency where she would call and, you know, we'd have our play phones and request, um, you know, a piece of art. I drew a lot of mermaids and roller skates with her. Those were really like what I was excellent at doing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she pushed me on on that kind of stuff. You know, she would um, she would challenge me on things where it's like, hey, I've kind of seen this one before. Do it a little bit different. Or, you know, what if the mermaid wore the roller skates instead of, you know, stuff like that. But um, <laughs> she really kind of nurtured that side of me. And, uh, you know, I, I joke like again, I was so obsessed with um, with Disney as a kid. I grew up in Florida and I thought that vacation meant Disney because it was really the only vacation I had. Mm-hmm. But um, I was obsessed with like the country bear jamboree. I thought it was the coolest thing. Thing. Yes. And so later in life, um, you know, this toy came out called Teddy Ruxpin. And I was obsessed with this thing. And my mother was like convinced that I was like crazy. She's like, why do you want this? I mean, you have to like every kid in Florida wanted one, but I was probably like 13 or 14. I don't really remember. (laughs) Um, And Aunt Gloria convinced my mom that I needed to get this Teddy Ruxpin. Um, So she was always kind of like an inspiration as I as I think about, um, you know, cultivating creativity. I wasn't really an athletic kid. I was like a chubby kid. Um, So like while, you know, my siblings were outside playing or my cousin were doing that. Um, and Gloria and I typically could be found with, you know, a box of crayons or watercolors and uh, just playing in that regard. I love that you guys played agency. 
Like somebody would phone in and give like a brief over the phone. A brief. <laughs> That's so cool. That's the first time I've ever heard that. So that is awesome. So during all of this time, Ron, what stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and just has stuck with you since. Wow, that's um, that's a a really good question. I, you know, I I think um, I was always kind of inspired by like mid century um, Florida. You know, it, basically Florida is kind of like the equivalent of Palm Springs, mm-hmm. um, and so I think like that uh, that simplistic kind of design sense, um, very Brady Bunch. Like I was just obsessed as a, I think when, you know, uh, maybe instead of being so focused on the story of the Brady Bunch, I was obsessed like looking at the trinkets in their house, like the horse under the stairs or, um, uh, you know, or the Hawaiian necklace that Greg got. Like I just found um, a lot of inspiration in in kind of those like trinkets and treasures. I love um, I love going to flea markets and finding and discovering things. Um, and, and I found like a lot of design inspiration kind of, uh, in those places. So I think that's probably, um, where I'd say a lot of my kind of, (laughs) a lot of my, um, creativity kind of stems from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, uh, in, in kind of finding and uncovering like trinkets and treasures where I might, you know, focus on a pattern that happens to be in like a, um, you know, a, a piece of fabric on a chair that maybe the chair's not that great, but man, I could do some amazing stuff with that pattern. Um, mm-hmm. And just kind of like dissecting things that way. So do you find yourself now occasionally like wandering through antique shops or things like that just to see what there is in that sort of vintage style that you could apply to something? Absolutely. Um, all the time. <laughs> and and I could I could definitely point out some things throughout my uh, my portfolio where it's like, oh, I remember where I saw this pattern on like a fabric on a doll at a vintage store in Dania Beach, Florida, or, uh, <laughs> cool. you know, just kind of random stuff like that. But for sure. And now I find myself doing that a lot with theater. Like, um, you know, I, I love I'm a little bit obsessed with Disney. I'm a little bit obsessed with theater. And I'll find myself seeing you know a production a couple times maybe five or six times uh-huh. um, and I'll just start focusing on something different like if it's um, you know the lighting in Frozen to me is just one of the if you haven't seen Frozen the musical on Broadway go see it yeah, but definitely. the lighting is just so magical they're doing a ton of projection mapping where they like ice over the entire stage and I just at one point I was I was watching it it was um, several several times in seeing the show and I was just fixated on on looking at where the ice was forming and what was happening at the corners and how kind of like that projection mapping um, affected the costumes on stage or the or the um, or the set and I just I find myself getting fixated in, in places like that where it's like, like okay I already know what's happening what else can I, I hear mm-hmm. or what else can I see in this um, I do the same in music where like I'll listen to something I'm like okay I just want to listen for I just want to listen for the for the bass in this song or I just want to listen to the violin in in this production or whatever um just to like have my brain think about it a little bit differently definitely and you know I the only one that I've seen on Broadway was when my wife and I were in New York kid free woo. Um, for the first time in a long time. We were there a couple of years ago and we went to see The Lion King on Broadway. And the first time you go to a Broadway production, you're sort of just taking it all in. The atmosphere, you're taking it all in. But I can see how the more times you go to that production, you can start to dissect it and sort of analyze 
like you said with the frozen one, where is the lighting? Like, where is the ice growing? What's happening up in the little corners? And you start to realize how put together these things are. It's incredible. Yeah, it it is. And I, I think when you see a show for the first time, particularly a really good show, and I, I'm actually a believer in, um, I will see anybody perform anything they're willing to sing, dance, act, whatever. I'm not like a snob that it has to be like super high end. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm great with low budget. I think you can find and discover things in, in any kind of production or mm-hmm. any kind of live theater. But the first time you see a show, you are, you're just like taking it in. You're, you know, a lot of times you're in awe. You're like kind of, wow, how did that happen? And then when you see something a second time, it's, it's also the same like with music. When you hear a song a second time, you notice something different. And the stakes aren't as high when you're, when you're seeing it a second time or a third time. Because if you miss something, it's okay because you're going to find something new. Um, and I, I really do try to kind of look at look at theater that way, like particularly if I'm if I'm repeating a show and I have a lot of like family who visits me um, in the city. And so I typically want to take them to something that I know is going to be great and they're going to love, which typically means I've seen it a couple of times. But I, <laughs> You've I, vetted I find, it. <laughs> I have. I have. Um, but I'll find myself like, oh, wow, I never noticed that. I, I just saw The Lion King Again, um, just about two weeks ago, I had a friend in town and I've seen that show. I, I really, I've lost count. And I just discover something new every time where it's like, wow, I never noticed that. And then I think, did they change it? Did they do something new? Um, mm-hmm. But anyway. What yeah. really shocked me when I was at the Lion King, and I just remembered this now when you said that you you discovered something new potentially, is we sat on the balcony seating off to one side and all of a sudden, somebody ran in. I can't even. I think it was right in the beginning where they're doing the sort of the opening number, and they ran in and they had this uh, bird on the end of a pole, almost like a fishing pole with a stick. Yeah, they're just swinging yeah. it around right there in front of us, and we're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like because they came out of nowhere, and then we look right. around and there's ten other people situated throughout, <laughs> and it just creates this ambience where it's not just you watching the stage. There's things going on beside you. You feel like more part of it. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's pretty magical. Definitely. I like the way you worded that. Pretty magical. <laughs> so, Ron, a number of uh, designers and guests on the show have mentioned PepsiCo and sort of following along on Instagram, seeing the new stuff that you guys have cooking up. So yeah. now I want to ask you, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow? And what about wow. them do you like? Yeah, that's that's great. I so I do love um, beauty. I I really love the industry. I think it's great. I like beauty photography, fashion photography. Um, really excites me. So I I love to kind of like stay in that kind of space. And of course, my time at Procter and Gamble, I got to do some really great work on um, Pantene and Olay and Head and Shoulders and even mm-hmm. some male stuff with Gillette and Old Spice. Um, so I like to stay kind of in that uh, in that world. Um, I love uh, you know I. I love uh, Diane von Furstenberg and and the the stuff that she does with pattern and and print. I think is really fascinating. Um, I love what um, I love what Louis Vuitton does from a photography point of view. I also love what they do from um, you know this idea of keeping a really classic core brand um, very relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether it's you know adding pattern on top of um, you know, on an existing kind of print that makes it fresh or new again, um, I think is really interesting. Um, so I, I, I like to follow a lot kind of in that space as well. And then, you know, from a, a pure design point of view, um, of 
course like Milton Glaser, Saul Bass is like truly my my design hero. Um, I, yeah. I, I love everything, um, you know that that kind of was under his uh, under his hand. But um, but yeah, I, I think I find it like in different places, and I like to surprise myself when I see something and I'm like, oh, that looks like it's you know x and then you find out it's it's something completely different and you get to go down kind of like another rabbit hole of discovering kind of new designers um yeah that's cool so as the role that you have with the pepsico design team how do you and your team push beyond sort of your industry standards in design and creative that's such a great question. I have to say it, it really is why I came to PepsiCo. So I, I, as you look at, and I know a lot of people, um, you know, will send me notes, Hey, I just saw this amazing thing that you guys have done. How did you get that kind of out? Um, I think we really deliver to a standard of, we are not designing a a cola package. We are really designing a brand and a brand experience. Um, and we want our brands to be part of, of the consumer's life. So rather than just looking at, um, you know, a Pepsi can or a display that might be going up in, in store, we really look at it from, okay, what is this going to mean from a sampling point of view? What mm -hmm. is this going to mean if you were actually going to a music festival or um, an art fair and you would experience this brand um, in, in full 360 kind of um, activations? Mm -hmm. And so... Every day, you know, the, the team, um, I have an amazing design team um, here. We literally look at the projects and just think, how do we take it beyond what the request was um, in ways that, you know, frankly, our, our consumers didn't know they wanted, even maybe our marketing partners didn't know they wanted, and really just kind of dial that experience up to, you know, to 11 um, or, or 1,000 even, um, mm -hmm. and just make something, um, you know, unexpected. Um, and we do that, you know, every day. We do a lot of, of um, you know, limited edition items that kind of raise the bar. Um, we work with some amazing partners as we think about, you know, our licensing work that we've done um, with brands like D Squared or brands like Puma. Um, you know, making people think and see the the Pepsi brand or Mountain Dew um, in a way that is just unexpected. And so we we try to look for that. Um, we try to look for kind of like that little nugget or that way in. Um, on every project. I love the way you said that giving the partners something they didn't know they wanted. Yeah, it's a tough one, right? Because I think, you know, and I'll say at PepsiCo, um, our marketing partners are really, really smart. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they've all been in a creative type of industry for for so much of, of their careers as well. So there is this there is this give and take, right? I mean, I think, um, you know, while design owns design and the process of, of design, it really is a collaborative um, nature with our, our cross-functional partners. And so I think, you know, um, you know whereas maybe uh, other, other places I've been, a marketer might say, oh, I want this or make it blue or make it, you know, yellow, whatever it happens to be. I think at PepsiCo, our marketers are really pushing from um, a strategic point of view, and we could deliver that, but what we try to do is really surprise them. Like, hey, this is what you asked for, but we think we could take it to this next level. Um, and, you know, I'd say most of the time it's met with like, wow, that's awesome. You know, glad you thought of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's what keeps us all challenged, you know, in, in terms of keeping these brands alive. Definitely. The importance of collaboration in those sort of projects. 
So, Rod, I want to get into a little bit of talk about print and packaging. I'm sure you dabble in that at PepsiCo. Absolutely. Um, But I want to hear how you have utilized print and packaging in your design career and any stories around it that you could share with us. Yeah, you know, I actually started my career um, working at an agency in South Florida, and we were doing more print um, package design. Um, then, of course, I, I moved into Disney, and a ton of the work that I had done there was in print and package. So we mm-hmm. did a lot of um, a lot of catalogs. We did uh, uh, custom packaging for every item that we produced at Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something, you know, and, and what's so funny, particularly coming from the Disney side, um, there is this, you know, uh, belief as a collector of Disney. And if you came to, it's, it's funny, I left a really big, um, awesome ranch house in in central Pennsylvania, and I moved to this really, really tiny studio in, uh, <laughs> in New York City. Yeah. Um, but all the things that stayed with me were like the things I was most proud of of that I created along the way, um, either hanging on my walls, like uh, paintings or, or illustrations that, you know, colleagues have made for me, or packaging that I created. And at Disney, there's, um, you know, in the collectible kind of world, there's this idea of like, you know, the the item is only as valuable as it, it's only valuable if it's in its original vessel, whether mm-hmm. it was a paper carton, whether it was a, a silk lined carton, if it was a, a coffin, I actually did some really cool stuff for the Haunted Mansion while I was there. Um, you know, <laughs> The, the package is is such a major part of of the story and the activation. And I even think at Pepsi, like um, you know, our our print side is a huge part of the of the story. So if you think about um, a, a can of Diet Pepsi, which I have in my hand right now, um, it's great. It's beautiful when you see it in a refrigerated case. You you know, oh, there's the silver with the Pepsi logo. That's my diet. Mm-hmm. When it's wrapped in its outer carton, like right now, we're we're um, in the middle of a awesome promotion called Gift It Forward for the holidays, where we're cool. actually telling a story on the outer carton. When this carton like stacks on an end cap, when it stacks on a pallet it just becomes so much more than the individual can inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this program specifically is inspiring people um, to gift it forward for the holidays. So rather than accepting a gift, maybe maybe receiving a gift and then gifting it forward. Um, and so I think, you know, packaging in that case, I'm able to do so much more in the packaging than I'd be able to tell on a single can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really powerful. Definitely. Uh, you know, at, at Disney... Um, it was really where we had, you know, some um, larger budgets to do things, and we were just experimenting with with awesome stuff in print. So whether it was like scented paper, I did a, a catalog for um, a holiday event where you know the the paper was scented like pine to smell like a Christmas tree, or um, during the summer we scented a catalog like coconut to make it smell like you know um, suntan lotion. Um, or, or the details and embellishments. I mean, so much. Um, there, there's so much inspiration that comes from paper. And while you know our cans at Pepsi are metal, um, we still design very much with with print and packaging. Um, you know, uh, first and foremost, right? Because it mm. is it's our major advertising. It's it's what most people are going to see more than advertising. You know, on television, more than hearing a spot on the radio. 
they're going to walk into a store um, and they're going to see our brand in that way. And, and certainly that was the case um, with the work at Disney and, and Proctor. Um, that was another space where, you know, just doing some amazing stuff in packaging with Olay where we were able to actually put our, our product on a pedestal inside the package to really elevate that kind of beauty experience and um, leveraging embossing and, and varnishes and um, special finishes and materials to really drive an elevated brand experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, it really second to none. I, I miss working with paper as much as I used to in the past. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in this sort of digital world and everything, you know, is, everything is Instagram, everything is online. Do you think it is increasingly important to or don't forget the packaging and the experience of the packaging? Or is that sort of sliding away in this digital world? I, I think it's more important than ever because I, I think the digital world has given such accessibility to um, inventors, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you have an idea, you can go and produce that idea. There, there are plenty of places that you can either source finances, you can source the right business partners. Um, but that experience when, you know, the, the end user, the, the consumer or the person, right? The, the customer that, that receives the product is going to open and unpack. Um, it's all about that experience. And it's mm-hmm. to me, what is likely going to make, um, them come back to you. Uh, I, I've, I, res- I ordered some amazing Sesame Street co-branded socks with um, nice. Bombas. They're so freaking cool. If you haven't seen these, check them out. I haven't. Um, i got to look that up. And I was so – the socks are amazing. Like they're so cool. Like they're, um, they're very su- – well, subtle for me, but probably not subtle for most people. They're subtle <laughs> uh, Disney characters kind of – or um, uh, Sesame Street characters uh, in, in the patterns. But the box that this came in, it it was giftable. And it turned into something for me where I'm like, oh, this is what I'm getting for my niece for Christmas. This is what I'm getting for my cousin. What's, what was really something that I was like, oh, I want these socks for myself. Um, it was that unboxing experience, you know, that, that really kind of pushed it um, over the top for me. So mm-hmm. I think it's increasingly important. Um, I think it's really important in, in, be- in the beauty space. Um, for sure, like the the packaging ways that you know the way a product feels in your hand, the way you know whether it's a tube or a bottle or you know is it glass, is it plastic? Um, I think it's such a major part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just because you can throw it in a box and ship it to somebody doesn't mean um, doesn't mean that you should skip that experiential side of it. I think everyone, you know, listening has ordered something online and when you get it and it's like damaged in the box, it's, it's just not as special. And it could be a really expensive thing you bought. Um, you, you, particularly as somebody trying to build a brand or, um, a product line, I I think it's your calling card. Um, so don't, don't stop doing it. Oh, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) <laughs> so the next few questions I have for you, Ron, take you down part of your career where you have likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Wow, that's, it's a great question. And I have one answer. Um, you know, I've, I've absolutely made one answer. Hey, one answer. What could that be? You're going to have to wait and tune in tomorrow for part two of this interview with Ron Bridge. Thank you so much for listening to part one today. We'll be back tomorrow with the other half. See you then. Bye.